3: And a pleasant good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat on the home of the fighting Irish of Notre Dame, Sports Radio 960, WSBT, your home for every Irish football game this fall, and of course, every postseason game they play as well. 9:60 a.m. WSBT. Of course, we are streaming live at WSBTradio.com and with our free WSBT radio app. The app is free to get. Just go to the iTunes or Google Play stores, search WSBT Radio with the app. You can listen to us live, or the podcasts are available to listen to whenever you would like. My name is Darren Pritchett. Great to have you on board for this installment of Budweiser's weekday sports beat on this Tuesday, July the fifth of two thousand and twenty-two. Our program is being brought to you by our longtime title sponsor, Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Baseball fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnabys of Mishawaka and Granger, serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org by Pet Refuge urging you to adopt, don't shop, where new beginnings have happy endings, and by the St. Joseph County 4-H Fair, summer starts here, going on now through July the 9th. Get all the details at 4hfair.com. It is 8 minutes after 5 o'clock, and it is a warm one in downtown South Bend. Right now, 91 degrees, it feels like. 105. Tonight, mostly cloudy, 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms becoming 70% likely overnight. Strong to severe storms are possible, low of 72. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy, 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms, humid, a high of 86 degrees. And a reminder, our heat advisory will remain in effect until 10 o'clock tonight. Well, the weather outside is as warm as Notre Dame football recruiting. My goodness, we told you last week, I shouldn't say we, I can't take credit. I rely on the experts who follow recruiting every second of the day to pass along the details to you, Mike Singer, our Notre Dame football recruiting insider for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. He warned us that there was a good chance Notre Dame could pick up five commitments in a seven-day span, and sure enough, all five verbally committed To the Fighting Irish, Mike's going to join me in the 6 o'clock hour to talk specifically about wide receiver Rico Flores Jr. He picked the Irish over Ohio State and Georgia. And also, Notre Dame spent a lot of time and put in a lot of effort on Christian Gray. The four-star corner from St. Louis, they got Gray as well. Two four-star corners in one week, and the Irish 2003 class is still number one in the country. In fact, they widened their lead on Ohio State with the week that they had. So 19 commitments now for the Fighting Irish in the 23 class, number one class. And, hey, we're early on in the 24 cycle, but the Irish are number one as well in 2024. So the former coach used to talk about, we need to be a top-five recruiting program. Well, it's happening now. Marcus Freeman and his staff – They are absolutely knocking it out of the park. One thing I do want to ask Mike in the 6 o'clock hour, they've got this number one class. They are filling needs at wide receiver and corner, which were musts in this class. And they're not just getting guys. They're getting the guys that they wanted. But without a quarterback in the class, can it still be an elite class? That is something that some Irish fans are talking about on social media, on message boards which you got to be careful, but they bring up a point. Can you have an elite class without a quarterback in it? Right now, Nuttering doesn't have a quarterback in the 23 class. They were hoping it was going to be Dante Moore. Doesn't look like that's going to happen. He is leaning toward the Oregon Ducks. Meanwhile, the Irish, of course, a few weeks ago got C.J. Carr, the four-star out of Michigan in the 24 class. Now, there's a chance he could reclassify he's an older kid and become a part of the 23 class. Doesn't sound like it's going to happen, but it's at least something that was talked about. So I'll ask Mike about, can you have that elite 23 class without a quarterback? I think you can, but many people think differently. So we'll ask Mike about that and more coming up when he joins me in about 50 minutes to start the 6 o'clock hour here on Sports Radio 960. WSBT on the program this evening also in our next segment our Twitter question of the day we'll talk some White Sox and twins later on this hour we had a live program yesterday on the 4th of July but I saved the my five question of the day for today and that is who had the best weekend last weekend and a former Notre Dame football player showed up In my top five, I'll tell you who that was coming up in just a little bit. Our sports wagering segment is on the way in just a little bit here on WSBT Radio. So hope you'll stick around. No South Bend Cubs baseball tonight. The Cubbies played last night on the 4th of July. In minor league baseball now, Mondays are off days. Everybody plays six-game series Tuesday through Sunday, with the exception of this week, with Monday being the 4th of July baseball's about making money. Minor league teams want to play on the 4th of July. Big crowds. So South Bend played last night against Wisconsin and lost. So the two teams will take their off day today. Then they'll be back at it on Wednesday, tomorrow night, 7.05, here on WSBT Radio. I heard this Sunday. I should have wrote it down because, sure enough, I can't remember the exact details. But someone made a really good point that on New Year's Day, The NHL grabs a lot of eyeballs by the Winter Classic taking place, a unique event. And with some of the major college bowl games not on New Year's Day, the NHL takes advantage. They have a really good day on New Year's Day. The NBA has owned Christmas Day. I mean, they start playing, what, at 11 o'clock in the morning and wrap up with the West Coast game? And now the NFL is trying to take a bite into that by playing on Christmas Day. But different sports take advantage of certain parts of the year, or a holiday, or a certain day. Major League Baseball should own the 4th of July. That should be their Winter Classic January 1st NHL day. That should be a day in which they emphasize their game. Why? Nothing else is happening. I shouldn't say everything else. The WNBA is going on. But in terms of the high-profile NHL, NBA, NFL, they're not playing. Major League Baseball has a big stage. And what happened yesterday? The Philadelphia Phillies, in a city with the Liberty Belt, kind of an important city for our patriotic nation, they didn't play yesterday. How do you not have a game in Philadelphia? How do you not have a game in Boston, New York, on the 4th of July? And this is the part I can't remember because I was watching the Phillies Cardinals broadcast. I had the Phillies broadcast on and they mentioned it's the first time the Phillies had not played on the 4th of July. It was something like 80 or 90 years. Major league baseball does the worst job of marketing themselves. They don't market their players. The greatest. They're trying to get better at that. And here's a day where you've got people off work. You could start games at 11 in the morning, and play through the West Coast 10 o'clock at night and make the day your day. And yet there were several teams that were off on the 4th of July. What owner would not want their product playing on the 4th of July? That's when you get a big crowd. The A's had their biggest crowd of the year. Now, granted, it was 24,000, but it was their biggest crowd of the year because it was the 4th of July. Major League Baseball falls asleep. They're more worried about counting how many times the catcher and the pitching coach goes to the mound than doing the right thing on certain days, like the 4th of July, make it your day. That's your day to shine. And they don't do it. How do you not have the Phillies playing at home on the 4th of July? The old tradition was the Reds played the first game every year, opening day, That's kind of went by the boards. How about starting a new tradition? Places like Boston and Philadelphia always host on the 4th of July. Maybe it's too simple. I don't know, but the Phillies not playing on the 4th of July seems very, very strange. So we'll talk more baseball later on in the program here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
1: The first pitch and yeah, the first pitch of the night. And we are ready for the first pitch of- into the windup in his first offering. Just a bit
4: outside. He tried the corner and missed.
3: Well, let's get to our first pitch for today's program on Sports Radio 960, WSBT. I want to spend a little time on Notre Dame football past, present, and I guess maybe a little bit about the future. Because right now, what Notre Dame is doing in recruiting is pretty remarkable. You can see why fans are so excited right now about Notre Dame football recruiting. They are going into people's backyards, and they're really cleaning up. There's a player in Ohio, backyard of Ohio State, don't care. They're going to go after them, and they've done an amazing job of getting those players. Go down to Florida. Yeah, Miami, Florida State. Florida are there. All the other SEC schools. Keon Keeley might be the best player in the class of 2023 that's not a quarterback. He's a part of the Notre Dame class right now. Irish are absolutely hitting it out of the park. Now let's backtrack. When Brian Kelly was the head coach of the Fighting Irish... He had a winning percentage of 739. That includes the 12-0 regular season in 2012 that has been wiped out of the record books by a horrible and dumb decision by the NCAA. I'm counting the wins. Don't care. (laughs) It should be a part of his record. Brian Kelly came from Cincinnati, and he took over a program that was in trouble. It needed help. It needed a lifeline. It was nowhere close to what we expect of Notre Dame football. And BK brought this program back to life. Along with that 739 winning percentage, that out-of-nowhere run to the BCS title game in 2012, what a magical season that was. It started in Europe with a victory over Navy, and ended in Miami in the national championship game. They lost to Alabama. Alabama took control of that game early. But I think it showed Brian Kelly. It showed Notre Dame. It showed the fan base. They still had a gap to close between themselves and the elite of college football. But that was a really good Notre Dame football team that ended up being the second best in 2012. After 12 years, Brian Kelly decided, you know what? I need a new challenge. He left Notre Dame in December for LSU. Remember what Brian Kelly told the Associated Press, quote, It's been awesome because you've got incredible facilities. You've got players that want to be great. I want to be in an environment where I have the resources to win a national championship, end quote. That was his thoughts on joining LSU. Now, Kelly told the AP that before he left, he had made several requests for additional resources and improvements at Notre Dame. What were some of the ideas he was pushing? Well, apparently he wanted a chef dedicated to the football program. Also wanted a new facility to replace the Goog, which currently houses the Notre Dame football team. It does not have a dining hall. Kelly's request for a new facility was not new. He said, quote, I mean, that's something that has been on the books since 2016, end quote. So Brian Kelly tried to point out that the reason why he couldn't take Notre Dame all the way to the top of the college football world, a lot of it had to do with the facilities, the practice facility, no chef, no dining hall. Marcus Freeman. Last week, talked to Blue and Gold Illustrated. Blue and Gold Illustrated's Tyler Horka, Patrick Engel, asked Freeman about some of these issues. Freeman's response? There is nothing missing in this building to prevent us from winning a national championship. I'll say that. I believe that. End quote. The thing about BK... I knew this before he arrived at Notre Dame, I was tipped off, and we saw it play out. Brian has to find something to point out for the reason why his team didn't do something. This go-around It's chefs and the appropriate dining halls, as well as a new football complex. I have a feeling chefs and dining halls are not preventing Brian Kelly from winning a national championship. now. Apparently, the digs at LSU are off to chart good. Good for them, but I'll bet that LSU probably won't have a better record than Notre Dame this year because you know why? It comes down to players, scheme, coaches. And I would say Notre Dame might be more well suited to win this year than LSU. Now, if LSU has a better record, I have a feeling Brian Kelly will not be crediting the chefs in the dining hall. Just a hunch. So what about recruiting? Remember when Brian thought Notre Dame should be recording top five recruiting classes? Well, he leaves. And what's Marcus Freeman done? Marcus and his staff have the number one recruiting class for 2023 and the number one recruiting class for 2024. I think that's what he wanted. And it's amazing what a head coach puts into recruiting what you can get. Marcus Freeman told us from day one. He is going to be heavily involved in recruiting from day one of the cycle every day throughout the cycle to the end. You get what you put into it. We all know BK that was not one of his favorite things to do. Marcus Freeman is Captain America, Thor, Iron Man all into one when it comes to recruiting man. That guy is a machine. Saw some numbers that are very interesting. When you think about the 22 and 23 recruiting cycles, 35 of the 41 recruits committed or signed by Notre Dame ranked as four or five stars. That's an 85.3% blue chip ratio. The best two-class combination for Brian Kelly when it comes to blue chip ratio, 77.7%. At the end of his tenure, he was at 55%. wonder what the excuse is this time. Now, I was told by a Cincinnati media member when Notre Dame hired Brian Kelly back in the day to watch out. He'll get testy. He'll get angry at the media sometimes for asking the wrong question or the right question. And if things aren't going well, somehow the media was going to be held to the fire by BK. Well, it didn't take long. Game three of his coaching tenure, 2010, the Irish and East Lansing taking on Michigan State. That particular night, the late, great Jeff Jeffers was under the weather early on in that season, and I was asked by the Notre Dame Radio Network to fill in as the sideline reporter. The first two games, part of my responsibility was to interview Brian Kelly after the game. Things went well. Then we get to the Michigan State game. That was the game in which I think it was 7-7 at halftime. The Irish had moved the ball well offensively in the first half, but mistakes cost them points. They left points on the field. Second half was a scoring spree between the two teams. The Irish really got going offensively. Unfortunately, they couldn't stop Michigan State. And that was the game that went into overtime. That was the little Giants play. Mark D'Antonio pulled out the fake field goal in overtime. Michigan State threw a touchdown pass to win the game 34-31. I'll give you one guess. 30 seconds after that play happened and the handshake between Kelly and D'Antonio, guess who the first person was that got to talk to BK? Yep, yours truly. And in my experience of being a broadcaster, which if you count my days in college, where in college I was covering St. Louis Cardinal games, interviewing opposing players, Cardinal players in the locker room interviewed Ram players, Blue players. I mean, it was a great college experience to be in that market interviewing players like that. Always had great experiences, even after bad games. But this was a little different. BK was angry, and I could understand being angry. I might be awfully upset at my special teams coach at that time. And so I was in charge of asking Brian two or three questions. Don Cricky threw it down to me. I'm on the field with BK. And I just asked him, Coach, just your initial thoughts on the way this game wrapped up. And he gave a very well thought out answer on the fake field goal. I'm thinking if he's going to get ticked off, it would have been about that. But he was fine. So the next thing I did, I I talked about and formed a question in regard to the first half. Coach, you moved the football well, but only seven points on the board. What was your takeaway? And he didn't want to talk about the first half. His response, and I'm cleaning it up a little bit, not like he cursed. He's like, I don't know what game you're watching, but this game came down to one play and one play only, the fake field goal. So you must have been watching a different game. This game came down to the field goal. I'm thinking what the heck am I going to come back with now? There's no chance of saving this interview. So I came back with but coach in the second half. You moved the ball up and down the field. You scored, I think it was three touchdowns. Gave him a softball, a chance to kind of calm down the interview. And you know, he said something in regards, again, it came down to one play and it was the fake field goal. And that was it. I basically could have said, Brian, the grass is green and the sky is blue. And he would have said, hell no, Darren, the grass is purple and the sky is orange. He wasn't going to agree with anything I asked him. I'm not the type to ask a softball question like a lot of sideline reporters. I just can't do that. I felt like I asked constructive questions in a reasonable way. But he wasn't having it. And he buried me. So this is what most people, actually everybody in the listening audience doesn't know. I send it back to Cricky. Cricky goes to break, and Cricky absolutely reams me because I can hear him in the headset off the air. He is crushing me. He calls it the worst interview he's ever been a part of. <laughs> well, Don, I don't think you've ever listened to yourself because you sucked for most of your career, but that's all right. That's a different story. So that led to an interesting next week, and Notre Dame lost the next game, I think, to Stanford. And I had to interview Brian again, and Brian was absolutely great about the interview. We went on professionally and had a great conversation, even in a loss. So it was a good learning experience for me. I looked at myself to say, okay, what could I have done better? And I got the first taste of Brian Kelly blaming someone else for a game not turning out the way that he wanted it to. Well, Brian has, unfortunately, plenty of practice at that. And i got to be honest with you. I, even after that, I was always very supportive of Brian Kelly. 2016, I could have had a grudge after that incident. Never had one. We interviewed him all the time. Coaches, or not coaches versus cancer, but his Kelly Cares Foundation events. We were fine. 2016, the Irish went 4-8. and eight. I could have buried him. He was an easy target. I believed in him. I wanted Notre Dame to keep him. A lot of people wanted him fired. I believed he was still a guy that needed to be here and a chance to turn things around. And you know what? It worked out the next six years he went 54 and 10 with two playoff appearances. So that worked out. But you know the moment that changed everything for me with BK was after the 2020 playoff game against Alabama. That's what I threw up my hands, and I was kind of done with BK. Now, I wasn't going to say on the air, oh, they should fire him because I'm done with him. No, he's still doing great things as a coach for this football program. They're still winning at a high level. They're close to winning a championship. Just couldn't get it done. But back to the main premise, he likes to deflect things. He likes to blame other people. This was the Alabama loss in 2020 i guess the 21 start of the year and pete sampson who's a one heck of a notre dame writer cover them for a long time i thought asked a very fair question after that loss to alabama and here's the fun after that
2: is open
4: brian You look at it and you you feel like the program has gotten a lot closer what's the first next step you feel like you guys could take or need to take
2: I don't know how I need to keep, I really don't want to continue to go down this path. We're going to keep getting here, okay? And we're going to keep banging at it and you guys watched the game, didn't you? They made plays on the perimeter. They made some dynamic plays. They have the college football player of the year who made some dynamic plays. Um, We battled, we were right there, Um, you know, so we're going to keep getting back here and I'm sorry if, if you don't like it or if the national media doesn't like it, but we're going to go back to work, we're going to keep recruiting, and we're, we're going to put ourselves back in this position again. Um, and, and I think our kids battled and played really hard and physical. We ran the ball today. Um, and, and I'm not taking it personal because these questions keep, keep coming up like we have to reinvent ourselves. We were physical today. Um, They were dynamic on the perimeter like they have been all year. This is a really good football team. Um, And we're just going to keep recruiting and keep playing. And we're going to keep putting ourselves in this position. And that's all we can do. All right. Your next question will come from Steve Bolton of WZZN. Go ahead, Steve.
3: Coach, uh, congratulations on a successful season. Uh, huh. Well, that
2: would be nice if our local people would have felt that way. But they they don't use any of those kinds of terms. This is always about, you know, <laughs> where our program needs to go. So I really appreciate that. Thank you.
3: That's when I was done. We, the local media, are the Darth Vader of this story. Come on. When the questions get tough, that's what he always had to twist and turn to get away from the spotlight. And when he made that comment that the local media was asking all these tough questions about what's the next step, which is a very fair question, that's the type of response he gave. And that's when I was done with BK. And that's why when he left after last year, I didn't really shed a tear. I think it was a great opportunity for Notre Dame to take the program to the next level. As I stated early on in this conversation, all the great things BK did for this program, and I want to establish this isn't a grudge. I could have had a grudge after that moment in 2010, but I believed in him, and he did great things. But the act just got a little old, and that's when I was like, all right, now you're bringing the local media into this conversation. People around the country have no idea what the local media does with Brian Kelly on a daily basis. I think we're very fair. We were very fair with Brian Kelly through the years. Kind of threw us under the bus. That's when I'm like, all right, I'm done. And I remember sitting at a restaurant in South Bend watching Notre Dame Hammer Stanford to wrap up the season last year and sitting with my fiance. I said, Brian looks bored. He looks so uninterested on the sideline." Even in blowouts, he didn't look like that through the years. Now I look back, probably the LSU deal was done at that particular point, and he was just kind of riding the coattails of the final moments of his Notre Dame coaching tenure. I'm just looking forward to see who Brian's going to blame next because LSU has a history of doing great things recruiting in the fertile state of Louisiana. I mean, they get elite kids out of their state. As of right now, the top 10 Kids in the state of Louisiana, LSU has one commitment out of those ten. That doesn't happen at LSU. I wonder what the reason is. Do you have any guess for those that followed Notre Dame football recruiting through the years? I think we all know that sometimes you get out of recruiting what your head coach puts into it. That's our first pitch for today's program. Darren Pritchett with you on this Tuesday. It is now 24 minutes in front of 6 o'clock. Our Twitter question of the day is coming up next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
1: This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
3: 91 degrees at 541 on this Tuesday evening, Darren Pritchett with you on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Let's get to our Sports Beat Twitter question of the day. I post a question every weekday on my Twitter account at 960 SportsBeat. On the 4th of July yesterday, we kind of took a turn from the normal type of question that I would throw out to you, the listener. Here's what we went with on the 4th of July. How many hot dogs could you eat in the 10 minutes given to the participants of the Nathan's hot dog eating contest? Playing by their rules, you have to eat the hot dog, you have to eat the bun. If there is the reversal of fortune, AKA you throw up the hot dogs, you are disqualified. So how many could you eat in that 10 minute window? Here are the four choices, one to two. 3 to 4, 5 to 7, or 8 or more. I didn't figure I should go any higher than 8. I mean, professional eaters, they get into the 30s, the 40s, the 50s. Joey Chestnut, what had 76 last year. I didn't think there was any use going into double digits, but maybe I was wrong. Here's how the voting turned out. In last place in the voting... In that 10 minute window to eat hot dogs, 7.8% said they could eat eight or more. I'd like to challenge those individuals to do it. Send me a video. I wanna see you do it. Woof. Third place in the voting. One to two got 18.6% of the vote. I mean, you can eat a hot dog in five minutes. That gets you two and 10. I'm surprised that got as much support as it did. Second place in the voting, how about five to seven hot dogs in a 10-minute window? That got 29.4% of the vote, and my vote would have gone to the one that was the winner. First place in the voting in that 10-minute window in the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest, the winning vote was three to four hot dogs. That got 43.1% of the vote. I don't know how you soak the hot dog bun in water. Now, I know that's the easiest way to eat it. It goes down easier. But I can't eat like soggy cereal. I can't imagine eating soggy bread. That just does not sound appetizing. But it's not about what's appetizing in a hot dog eating contest. It's stuff your face and do it as easily as possible. So thanks for voting in yesterday's question. Today's question has really blown up. I don't know if we've had a bigger response to a question since we started doing this on Sportsbeat AM last summer. So here's what we have for today. This is totally hypothetical. There's a lot of ifs, ands, and buts in this question, so bear with me. If Notre Dame and Stanford were to join the Big Ten and If the conference would create something like the ACC has, three annual rivalry games, of the four choices I'm going to give you, as a Notre Dame fan, what would you be most in favor of? So these would be the annual opponents of Notre Dame. That means each and every year you'd play these three teams no matter what. Everything else would rotate. Here are your four choices. USC, Michigan, and Purdue. You get three rivalries through the years, all in one big lump there. Choice number two another trifecta of longtime rivals USC, Michigan, and Michigan State. Choice number three USC, Michigan State, and Stanford. And the fourth choice USC, Purdue and Stanford now I put USC in all four choices because there was a report that the plan was to keep the Notre Dame USC rivalry going now if they're both in the Big Ten that'll be easy if Notre Dame does not go to the Big Ten you can still use that as a non-conference game for USC and we'll see where Notre Dame ends up ACC independent but it's doable Then I kind of used Michigan, Michigan State, Purdue and Stanford, mixed them up in these choices, trying to find a good combination. And right now, looking at the early voting, the USC, Michigan, Stanford combination is just a little bit out in front. I figured some combination of USC, Michigan would win this vote. And right now, that is winning but I wasn't quite sure what the choice would be for the third team in this hypothetical situation. So, again, you can vote right now at 960 Sportsbeat on Twitter if Notre Dame and Stanford were both to join the Big Ten and if the conference goes to something like the ACC has created, three annual rivalry games of these four accommodations, which would you be most in favor of? USC, Michigan, Purdue... USC Michigan Michigan State USC Michigan Stanford or USC Purdue and Stanford we would love to get your vote and we will pass along the results on tomorrow's Budweiser's weekday sports beat and we'll have a brand new question for you on tomorrow's program so thanks for bearing with me on this very hypothetical question 5:47 is our time this is Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT
1: One question, five answers. This is the My 5 Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
3: Darren Pritchett at 5.51. Now, we did not have a My 5 on yesterday's live program on the 4th of July, so we're going to use the Tuesday time slot to get to our normal Monday My 5 Question of the Day. Who had the best weekend? Ladies and gentlemen. This is
2: number five.
3: I want to start with JT Poston, who won the PGA Tour's John Deere Classic, a rare wire-to-wire victory on the PGA Tour. It was his second career win. He won by three shots, and that victory got him into the Open Championship next week, and it's a big one. If you want to get into an Open Championship, this is the year. It is the 150th Open Championship, and it's being played at St. Andrews. Hey. Number four is a former Notre Dame football player. Do you remember running back Dexter Williams? Williams was a sixth-round pick of the Green Bay Packers back in 2019. Two years in the National Football League, he bounced around between the Packers, the Giants, the Browns, and the Dolphins in the regular season. Williams has seven career carries for 19 yards. Well, just a couple of days ago, Williams was signed by the United States Football League's Philadelphia Stars, a team that was preparing for the USFL championship game against the Birmingham Stallions. The Stars had an injury at running back. They brought in Dexter Williams. So a short week for Williams. He had to learn the playbook, familiarize himself with the offense, the personnel, and he actually played an important role in Sunday's USFL title game. Williams ended up with eight carries for 29 yards plus four receptions for 73 yards. So in a short week, a week ago before the game, he had never seen the playbook. He had 12 touches in the title game for 102 total yards. And the Stars almost upset the Stallions. Birmingham got a late fourth quarter touchdown to pull out the victory. Then a defensive touchdown helped him out. Williams came up short in that bid to win a championship, but he might have put himself back on the NFL radar with that particular performance. okay. okay. Uh, number three. Who had the best weekend? Let's go with the Houston Astros pitching staff. They struck out Los Angeles Angels hitters 20 times on Sunday, tying a major league record. And they also set a major league baseball record for 38 strikeouts in a three-game series when none of the games had gone into extra innings. That is the most strikeouts ever in a three-game series where all three games went nine innings. Mike Trout, the best player of the current generation, Angels outfielder, he went 0-for-11 with nine strikeouts against the Astros pitching. That says a lot. Number two. Got to go with Nolan Arenado, hit for the cycle for the second time in his career on Friday in Philadelphia, and then was a part of history as the Cardinals hit back to back to back to back home runs Saturday in Philadelphia in the first inning. It was the first time in Cardinal history that there had been four consecutive batters hit home runs. And it was the first time in Major League history that had occurred in the first hitting. So, Arnato became the 17th Cardinal in history to hit for the cycle and became a part of the first team in Cardinal history to hit back-to-back-to-back-to-back home runs.
2: Number one.
3: And who had the best weekend? It's got to be the Big Ten Conference. Not only do you add two teams from the number two TV market, USC and UCLA, But according to Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports, the Big Ten is holding pat for right now on further expansion until, as Dodd puts it, Notre Dame makes a decision. You know it is a darn good weekend when you add USC and UCLA and you have Notre Dame at least considering joining your league. That's who had the best weekend in our My 5 question of the day. It is four minutes in front of 6 o'clock. A Sports Center update is right around the corner. Then I'll bring in Mike Singer, Notre Dame football recruiting insider, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. We'll talk about two of the latest Notre Dame football commitments, Rico Flores, a wide receiver, cornerback Christian Gray. We'll talk about maybe who's next in the commitment cycle for the Irish, and can Notre Dame have an elite 2023 recruiting class Without a quarterback. Mike's opinion coming up in a couple of moments on your home of the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame, Sports Radio 960, WSBT.
1: Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960,
0: WSBT. Highlight reel won by Williams. Down the sideline, Williams. Chase Mike Gallagher. What a run! Touchdown! Spectacular run!
1: Here's the fake. Meyer looking. Meyer finding the other tight end. Irv Smith, touchdown. Bye bye, rocket, touchdown, Irish! Here's your host, Darren Preachett. Welcome
3: back to Book Day Sports Feed on Sports Radio 960 WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on the WSBT Radio app. I'm Darren Pritchett, joined by Mike Singer, the Notre Dame football recruiting insider, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Besides being on the radio, we're also recording this for playback on Blue and Gold Illustrated's YouTube channel. So, Mike, let's dig into some recruiting conversation. Well, you teased us last week that there were five possible commitments for the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. Marcus Freeman and his staff. They go five for five. The nice thing, Mike, there wasn't a lot of drama last week. Everything sort of fell into place. Maybe just give us your thumbnail sketch, five commitments from the Fighting Irish. Put it into perspective what the Irish accomplished last week.
4: I will add it ended up being five for six. Uh, there's a, a, a athlete recruit, Mike Atiz, out of Oklahoma, okay. who ended up announcing pretty – like I, I think after my last segment on your, on your show that he was going to be committing on 4th of July – and he picked Arkansas. So I, I will categorize that as a recruiting loss for Notre Dame. But in terms of the five that we knew of when we had been talking about, you know, Cam Williams, Micah Bell, Rico Flores, uh, Christian Gray, Charles Jagsaw, those five, Notre Dame did land all five of them. And uh, really nice recruiting wins for Notre Dame. Uh, positions of need. you got a, a on-three five-star in Charles Jagsaw. Um I mean, you you get a a top-flight receiver with offers from Ohio State and Bama and, you know, USC and all these schools, and you get your first two cornerback commitments ranked 118 nationally and 78th nationally. I mean, two top 11 cornerback recruits in the country. Yeah, things things are going pretty well on, on the recruiting front for Notre Dame right now.
3: I want to ask you about Rico Flores, Jr. You have told us a lot about him over a good amount of time on the program and this is a young man who had the great choices, Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Georgia, and he is verbally committed to the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. When you think about how good he is, and when you also factor in the need in this class for Notre Dame, how much of a home run is this?
4: Uh, the, the thing I like most about him on top of those two things is that he's a pretty ready-made receiver. So he doesn't have, like, you know, four three, four four speed. You know, I, I don't know his 40 time. He might be like a four six guy or something. He's, he's not a burner, but he's so technically advanced as a route runner using his hands. His football IQ comes from a fantastic program in, in, in Northern California at Folsom. Plays great competition up there. Just, he does everything right. He, you know, he's got good size, about six one, one ninety, one ninety five. 195. Just a player who can come in and help right away for Notre Dame. And, uh, you know, he's someone who if Notre Dame needs him to, I could see him contributing as a true freshman. So um, just the overall skill, the rankings, the offer list, the position of need, obviously, receiver being so crucial for Notre Dame in this 2023 class, it's a monster get for the Irish.
3: Now, Mike, I have an old friend who was a recruiting coordinator, and he always told me try to combine classes at a position to really give you an idea where the program stands. So as we look at the the 23 class of wide receivers, if you want to go back to the 22 class for a second and, and kind of combine the two, we knew going into 22 that they were going to have to hit on the next couple of classes in order to get back the depth and quality. Didn't work out in 22 but is 23 helping to to close the gap that was lost maybe the previous year
4: oh that's a tough question it kind of will depend on how good you know like cj williams and Amarion walker who they had committed but lost late i actually think williams is fairly comparable with, with rico flores both um, these big bodied outside receivers very um, good technical players It'll kind of depend on that, but yeah, Tobias Merriweather, who got to Notre Dame a few weeks ago, um, you know, he's a speedy, playmaking, high ceiling outside receiver. Braylon James, another guy I believe is a, you know, six, what six three, two hundred poundish guy, uh, another outside guy. Flores, I think, can play in the slot. You can put him outside. They're getting versatile receivers with a good combination of of ceiling and floor. yeah, I mean, receiver. I mean, again, you only signed one receiver in the 22 cycle, which was, a, you know, a flop. But the one you got, in Merriweather, um was fantastic. You get Braylon James, you get Rico Flores, and Darren. I think that kind of moves us into our next The next discussion is who could join uh, Flores and James.
3: So let's get to that. Let's talk about what <laughs> might be coming down the line next for the fighting Irish. And is there anybody close at wide receiver that might enhance that particular position?
4: Yeah, there's two players. I'm, I'm keeping a close eye on. You got Ronan Hannafin, um, up from Massachusetts. So you got, you know, Texas, uh, Northern California, you got Massachusetts and the next guy we'll talk about is another Texas guy. So, I mean, Notre Dame's recruit all over the place. Um, Hannafin's really interesting because Notre Dame has just been recruiting him as an athlete. You see um, for for folks watching on YouTube on three, has him listed as an athlete, four-star player, but, you know, I thought for a while it was looking like he was going to be like a safety. Maybe he's a Rover, you know, if he gets bigger, he's just such a good athlete, but he seems to prefer receiver. And, you know, he's just such a good player that Notre Dame would love to take him at wide receiver. So, I I like Notre Dame to land uh, Hannafin. I put in a prediction um, several months ago for him to land TR. Still still feeling pretty good about it. You know, he officially visited Boston College, um, Alabama, and I I believe Clemson in June as well as Notre Dame. So some heavy hitters there um, with two perennial national championship contenders. But I I do like Notre Dame to land Hannafin. Um, And and then the next guy would be Jaden Greathouse who's from the Austin, Texas area, as well as Braylon James, who's committed. They're they're good friends. Um, I I think Greathouse and Hannafin, they don't have, like, set decision dates. They haven't put out there, like, hey, I'm committing soon. But just kind of an inkling that those two guys seem to be um, done with the recruiting process, going into decision mode. Um, Both would be outstanding gets for Notre Dame if they sign a four-man receiver class of Ronan Hannafin, Jaden Greathouse, Rico Flores. Um, and uh, Braylon James. I mean, I'll I'll let the fans tell me if that's or, you know best receiver class since when. I'll I'll let the fans tell me that. But be pretty darn good. And if they if that's four, that's hitting
3: a really good number. I know Notre Dame
4: fans really wanted four or five receivers in this class. So if they get a minimum of four, that'd be awesome.
3: Are you ready for my one question? I always ask you that's off the wall.
4: I'm ready for it, Darren. Bring All it right.
3: on just with great house being from Texas and Texas recruiting him Manning picking Texas, has that affected Notre Dame football recruiting at all? Because they had a great run of recruits right after Manning picked Texas. Has that affected anyone Notre Dame was interested in off the top of your head?
4: Yeah. So you'd have to look at offensive skill players for that and running back. No tight end. No offensive line. No, we would have to see what happens at receiver. Like does like could arch, sway great house or james who again aren't Austin Mm -hmm. kids could that sway them towards texas we'll we'll just have to see but i do believe texas went on a little recruiting (laughs) run there after arch committed and i believe they got some receiver commitments i'm not sure where their receiver board stands but um great house and james as well as flores all guys that you know notre dame gets on um of course they already have flores and james like if they get great house you've got to Stay on them. You know, you got to stay on Flores. you got to stay on James. Make sure that these guys, you know, aren't having second thoughts and, and avoid a disaster like Notre Dame had last cycle.
3: I'm Darren Pritchett. He's Mike Singer, Notre Dame football recruiting insider, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, joins us here on WSBT Radio. Let's go to the defensive side of the football. I, I think it's fair to say that going into this recruiting cycle, the outside on both sides of the football – was a major need for this football team. And you're seeing them taking care of wide receiver. Now let's get to cornerback. As you've talked about, Micah Bell picked the fighting Irish last week. And now Christian Gray has verbally committed to the fighting Irish. And boy, Mike, they were on gray for a very, very long time. And it paid off.
4: Yeah, Darren. I mean, I think he visited campus seven times. I mean, it was kind of one of those, like if they don't get him, like this, it's going to be a huge blow. Um, I, I want to look. I'm, I'm not the guy who's going to, you know, praise the Notre Dame staff if they signed a bunch of five stars or a bunch of three stars. I'm just going to, you know, th- tell it exactly how I, I think it is. The gray recruiting win is one of the more impressive recruiting wins I've seen. Not only, I mean, they beat out LSU, Ohio State, USC. That alone is pretty impressive. Alabama had offered him as well. So, I mean, just I mean, for Notre Dame. This is their highest-ranked cornerback recruit since 2007, according to the twenty-three on three consensus ranking. Gary Gray from South Carolina, ranked number 44 overall player. That's – so Gray's the highest – no relation. Yeah. Christian Gray's the highest ranked since Gary Gray. Uh, Christian's number 78 overall player. Again, Gary Gray's number 44. I mean, that is something else. So just in those two aspects. and and obviously the film is very good gray ran i think it was a 440 and a 442 at ohio state and the 40-yard dash going into his uh, junior year of high school and he ran a 449 at notre dame um, a, a week later like yeah all these things are impressive but like when christian gray was in his freshman sophomore year of high school his high school head coach um robert steeples played and uh, you know, had a cup of coffee in the NFL as a cornerback um, for the Dallas Cowboys played at Missouri. I mean, Steeples was Gray's mentor. These guys were very, very close. Steeples like a father figure to Christian Gray. Steeples ends up getting the LSU cornerbacks coach job in late December. Then they offer Christian Gray and you're thinking, I mean, that, it's going to be tough for Notre Dame. I mean, the Irish have looked so good to land this young man for such a long time. I mean, could he really say no to his, I mean, like father figure mentor? You know how tough that it would have been? And it's LSU. That's argument for DBU. I mean, it's a fantastic school that breeds defensive backs. And Notre Dame beats out LSU and Mike Mickens and Brian Kelly. I mean, that's a heck of a recruiting win. Uh, I'm going to keep talking about that till I'm blue in the face. I mean, I don't know what Notre Dame did to get this guy, but I mean, it, it's an impressive, impressive recruiting win.
3: I mean, wouldn't you say right now uh, the job that Mickens has done to turn around that cornerback room is pretty impressive? The talent he's brought in? To, to be seen,
0: to, you to think be so?
4: determined to be determined. I mean, I, I mean, the 2021 class, Philip Riley, Ryan Barnes. Um, I know I'm forgetting someone And the last cycle, Benjamin Morrison, Jaden Mickey, um, and, and then uh, Jaden Mickey, Jaden Bellamy. I mean, it's, it's very much to be determined. Okay. Michael Bell, Christian Gray, I think are, are fantastic. Hits, but yeah, I'm not, I don't have a super strong opinion yet either way because we just don't know. I mean, that 2021 DB class. I think they signed five. Two have already out. Or two already already left the program. Got Barnes. Uh, I'm I'm forgetting somebody. Barnes, Riley, and then there's another that I, is still there. But yeah, yeah I, I don't. I, I think the jury's still out. Jaden Mickey is the one that has already exceeded expectations. True freshman early enrollee from that 22 class. He's he's already better. And, and Notre Dame had a high expectation for him. He's already exceeded them, So that's, that's definitely saying something.
3: But, um, yeah.
4: Um, so, yeah, m- long way to say. Jury, jury's still out for okay. me personally uh, on cornerback recruiting.
3: Fair enough. So five commitments last week. So, of course, we're going to be greedy, Mike. Are we close to another commitment in the 23 or 24 class?
4: Yeah, Darren. So, you know, N- Notre Dame brings in guys and, like, March and April, and then you see a wave of like late April to into May commitments. And then you have these June official visitors. And then we just saw a wave of late June, early July commitments. I still think we're, we're kind of in the tail end of this commitment wave. I think there's going to be a couple more, um, before the end of the summer, I'd personally probably put the over under at like two and a half. Um, I think that there's still more to come. How many, obviously, to be determined. We talked about Hannafin and Greenhouse. I think the Irish are in pretty good shape there. I think there could be, a, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see another new offer or two this summer in the 2023 class as well. Look, Notre Dame wants to have a high majority of this 23 class wrapped up by the start of the season. I don't know, maybe 85 90%. That, that's kind of their goal. Um, so I, I, I think we're definitely going to see some, some more fireworks this month.
3: Okay, so with the 23 class, it's number one in the country. And yet there's a small base of the fans that are awfully concerned that there isn't a quarterback in the 23 class. Can you have an elite great class without a quarterback in it?
4: Well, first, just address quarterback recruiting, still kind of in a a waiting stage. I'm digging on that this week to see what Notre Dame does. Like, I don't think they're – Completely given up on Dante Moore, but it just does feel like the writing's on the wall that he's going to end up elsewhere. So we'll see what Notre Dame does. I think all options are on the table, at least from from what I had heard. Um, So, But in terms of can they sign a great class, I mean, look, I I still want to know if they're going to sign somebody in this class. That'll be a a big determining factor um, on, on part of my thought on this class at least. But look, if they if they ended up skipping it, or they take some three star, no one's really excited about. Like this, still can be an elite class, because look, folks, um, when Notre Dame puts out a team on the field, you got players in the 2019 class, the 2020 class, 2021, 2022. It's not one class, so that's why I kind of I cringe a little bit when I see folks talking. This class is going to bring us a national championship. No, it's not. No single class is going to – I mean, I guess maybe like Alabama's 2017 (laughs) class is the exception because that class is crazy. You know, Mac Jones and, um, you know, Devonta Smith, that class. But for the most part, that's just not how this works. It's multiple classes you put together. So this class can help, you know, with Tyler Buckner or Steve Angeli or, you know, whoever – at the quarterback system, you get pieces around them. It doesn't necessarily have to be the quarterbacks in the 2023 class. It's a, it's a group effort from multiple classes. It's not just one cycle. So I know that's kind of an elementary thought, but I still see people saying, no, this is the class of national championship class. Like, no, it's not really how it works unless you're Alabama.
3: Yeah. Hey, there's a million things that go into a young man picking a school. So having said that, I'm just speaking out loud with all the chaos right now in college football with USC and UCLA jumping to the Big Ten and with all the reports, Notre Dame may be considering all options, which I'm sure they are doing. Everything seems to be on hold right now. Oregon and Washington reportedly asked the Big Ten about joining. They said, you know what? No, we're going to be on pause for right now. Again, I know there's a lot that goes into recruiting, but I just wonder if this is going to cause, for example, someone like Dante Moore to wait a little longer to see if Oregon's going to be in that secondary conference like the Pac-12, or if Oregon gets into the Big Ten, you're in one of the two super conferences. I know that's a lot right there, and kids have many reasons why they go to a school. I just wonder if that delays things even further because you want to get better. You want to get your NIL stuff. I get that, but it's also nice to win and play in big games.
4: I care. I got no idea, man. I I mean, I think of like if Oregon ends up in the Big Ten. Like, I mean, that's. I think that can be a game changer for, like, a Dante Moore and Midwest kids. There's just so many wrinkles, um, to this. How this would affect Notre Dame recruiting if they stay independent or not. I mean, I'm, I'm sure talking heads will, will have such strong opinions on that. That's, you know,
3: I don't think it, will. I
4: think Notre Dame is going to be Notre Dame, yep. you know, I, I, they're going to recruit at a high level. You know, it, it's not like, Oh, Marcus Freeman's going to be able to get in the door for an in-home visit or not based on Notre Dame's conference affiliation. Just don't see that. Do they lose a little mystique? Maybe, but then there's a lot of pros to entering the conference. So I, again, I I think for, on the recruiting front, it's going to come down to relationships, as it's been for the past you know 50 years. What however long, you know, you, you know people have been tracking recruiting. Like it it it's relationships. Um, you know it, it's yeah. The, yeah having great visits and being personable and all that good stuff.
3: Mike, those kids aren't going to care what's on the sleeve. The conference they're going to care about that indie logo on the chest that carries I the
4: Uh, i mean they care a lot about nike or under armor i mean like that that's that's something the kids care i mean yeah or it could be totally wrong it'll be a big deal for for notre dame recruiting but still i i think either way
3: yep
4: you know notre dame will be fine i mean whether they're in the big 10 or or an independent program they're they're gonna do really well
3: all right finally since we're talking about the 23 class where far along in this class. Is there a position of need at this particular point? Is there something that stands out and is it the obvious answer what we just talked about quarterback?
4: And well, they need to close strong at receiver. Um I mean Keon Keeley is a position of need unto himself. Just keep the you know one yeah. of the best players in the country. I, I think you can make a really strong argument that Keeley is the best non quarterback recruit in the country. Like everyone loves the quarterbacks in this class. keely I think is, is the best Um, non QB Um, you know still a little bit work to do at safety linebacker um, you know running back but it's it's quarterback for sure that's the biggest area of need I mean I feel like a broken record at this point Darren but it's quarterback receiver and corner and those are the three that have been the biggest areas of need for this class and it's really Notre Dame recruiting as a whole and I think they've Done a really nice job at corner getting Bell and Gray. I think they're, if things continue to trend the way they are at receiver, I think they're going to do really well there. And it's just like, all right, what, what now, quarterback? Um, does CJ Carr reclass? Uh, the, the, can they pull Hoffa now upset and get Dante Moore? Do they go, you know, flip the Baylor quarterback commit? Austin uh, Nova Sad, maybe Brocklin from uh, the Memphis area. I mean,
3: there, there, there's just many options
4: um you know we'll just kind of have to see where they go
3: all right let's wrap up with your sales pitch about blue and gold illustrated blueandgold.com I mean
4: believe it or not fall camps right around the corner so you'll definitely want to lock in at blueandgold.com we should have four or five reporters at every open practice between you know Patrick Engel Tyler Horka Ashton Pollard um, and Todd Burledge um a photographer i mean like we'll, we'll have a ton of people present so blue and gold will definitely be the place to be to get all the um the scoop on how the players are looking what the coaches are saying and of course um tons of recruiting insights as well so yeah blue one dollar for one year premium access
3: as always mike thanks for the visit thanks for the insight we'll talk to you next week all right, all right. sounds good thanks darren that's mike singer i'm darren pritchett more sports beat next on 960 am
1: wsbt In 1922, we began broadcasting under the call letters WGAZ, the world's greatest automotive zone. Now, we're your home for the fighting Irish of Notre Dame and the best sports talk in South Bend. Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT. Celebrating 100 years of broadcasting in 2022.
3: And we celebrated officially our 100th year, Sunday at 7.30. It was July 3rd, 1922 at 7.30 p.m. when WSBT Radio went live for the first time. They had a little musical show apparently in that first hour with Local artists coming on radio and performing for the listeners out there. We've come a long way since then as we're talking now about USC and UCLA joining the Big Ten Conference and if Notre Dame is going to remain an independent. Things have changed over the last 100 years. Darren Pritchett with you. Welcome back to the program. We have a full two hours tonight because the South Bend Cubs, they are idle tonight. A rare Tuesday up because they played yesterday. On the 4th of July, a big crowd down at Winds Field. Cubs and Timber Rattlers go back at it tomorrow night at 7 o'clock here on WSBT Radio. In terms of the conference news today, nothing big today. I will pass along a couple of nuggets. First off, Dennis Dodd, the longtime college football writer for CBSSports.com, posted late this afternoon this story that the Big 12 Conference, according to his sources, are involved in deep conversations to add multiple Pac-12 programs as a way to shore up its membership. Now, at least four teams, according to Dodd sources, are being considered with the potential for the Big 12 to add more as realignment continues to shake out. Now, the four teams that were mentioned specifically to Dodd and CBSSports.com that the Big 12 are looking to add, makes sense, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah. According to CBSSports.com, those are the four teams the Big 12 is targeting. Now, they also say being considered is Oregon and Washington. Now, if they added the four teams I mentioned a moment ago, plus Oregon and Washington, that would be an 18-team conference, which would currently be the largest in the FBS. Don't put that in a Sharpie. Don't put a Sharpie in your hand to write that down, because that could change if the SEC and the Big Ten decide to go well beyond 18, which is very possible. Now, there was a report last week that Oregon and Washington had asked the Big Ten conference about possible admission. Dennis Dodd had that story, and he reported the Big Ten told them they were standing pat as they wait for what Dodd called a decision from Notre Dame. So according to Dodd, the Big Ten was standing pat, so it looks like that the Big 12 is going to try to take advantage of the pause by the Big Ten and try to grab some teams. Now, there's also a report that, and this is not a surprise, this seems logical, that the Big 12 and the Pac-12 could combine in some form. That is a distinct possibility. But as of right now, the Big 12 and the Pac-12 are open to expansion as they try to save their conferences. They have been hit hard by changes. It all started with Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC from the Big 12. Then we fast-forward a year, USC, UCLA making the jump from the Pac-12 to the Big 10 Conference, which puts huge dents into the Big 12 and the Pac-12. Right now, the ACC has avoided cherry-picking. Now, is that going to last? It doesn't seem like it. The ACC would love to add Notre Dame, and they think that will help them survive. That could be the case, but there's no reason to believe that, for example, North Carolina might jump to the Big Ten or Clemson may join the SEC. Personally, I think after researching this whole subject a little more, I would change the list of five teams that I had last week that the Big Ten should go after. And I think it's more realistic right now that the Big Ten, in time, might be more interested in North Carolina and Virginia. I say that because, first off, Carolina gives you the Charlotte market. That is a booming area. And North Carolina's academics match up more with the Big Ten than the SEC. I think we can say the same thing, obviously, about Notre Dame. They match up better with the Big Ten than the SEC. I think institutions like Carolina and Virginia make a lot of sense for the Big Ten. So let's just talk pure hypotheticals. You got 16 teams right now with UCLA and UCLA. I'm sorry, USC and UCLA joining in 2024. If you get Notre Dame, that's 17, and maybe the Irish bring along somebody, Stanford, for example, what a perfect fit for the Big Ten. That's 18. Maybe Carolina and Virginia are your other two. You enhance more of the East Coast. You also add on another team to the West Coast. That's one of probably a million possibilities. So, again, Dodge report says the Big 12 is looking to go ahead and try to grab a few teams right now, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah, and they would also, of course, consider Oregon and Washington. Now, a guy who works in radio out at Oregon, John Canzano, he's been a really good follow on some of the things happening in the Pac-12 conference He has a web page that he posts, and he put up a story earlier today. I follow him on Twitter. That leads me to his web page. And he wrote that the Pac-12 conference CEO group has been hunkered down trying to plot its course of action since the defection of USC and UCLA to the Big Ten. A source with knowledge of their conversations told him that Pac-12 leaders are now considering a, quote, loose partnership, end quote, with another conference. He writes that conference likely is the ACC or maybe the Big 12. Now, he wrote a column that says Oregon's top wish is to join the Big 10 or the SEC. Phil Knight, Mr. Nike, does not want to be left out of a super conference. But apparently... In conversations that he had with a former president of Fox Sports, Bob Thompson, he's got a wealth of knowledge on these type of things, that Oregon's potential value in the media rights game would be $30 million a year, and that's not enough to justify the Big Ten going after Oregon when you consider the impending over $1 billion deal that the Big Ten may put together. So what is a loose partnership? That was my question. Well, Canzano writes, what would a loose partnership with the ACC look like? It could include a shared media rights deal with ESPN, who currently works with both entities. Also, it could result in the 10 remaining Pac-12 teams sticking together and the winner of that 10-team division playing in an ACC Pac-12 championship game in Las Vegas at the end of the season. There's also some attractive regular season crossover games between the entities in football and men's basketball. The ACC television markets include Boston, Atlanta, D.C., Miami, Tampa, Orlando, Syracuse has some reach in the New York market. The Pac-12 would add Seattle, Phoenix, San Francisco, Denver, and Salt Lake City. It almost feels like they're playing a secondary conference title game. It almost feels like the SEC and the Big Ten could do their own thing, and then you got the other conferences scrambling to make their own championship game. Not saying that's going to happen, but, I mean, the SEC and the Big Ten could make a major power play and just say, you know what, we're just going to schedule between ourselves and really put the clamps on everybody else. And then that is a domino that would hurt Notre Dame. That would impede their access easily to get to the college football playoff. Don't think that's reality. Something they could think about. So John Canzano is a really good follow on Twitter. If you're interested in following this story, it is at J-O-H-N-C-A-N-Z-A-N-O-B-F-T. Really good follow to give you a Pac-12 perspective. 649 at WSBT.